you to show up in our midst. This is a confession that we can embrace. This is a confession that, we, that excites us when we say, Lord, we welcome you. But as the actor in that video said, I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what's next, but it feels like it's something big. We know that we don't get to determine what's coming around the corner. But, Lord, there is a, a joy we can take and an empowerment when we lean in and trust you in this moment. See, and in this moment, Lord, we can be empowered. In this moment, we can be prepared. In this moment, we can have perspective that allows us to, to see things bigger than ourselves and get out of the box that we have put you in. So, Lord, we invite you to show up in our midst. Because it's our confession that we need you more than we need ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to continue a series as we've been going through the Gospel of John. And I'm going to tag on onto two texts. I'm going to get through John 12, uh, which is the Palm Sunday text. John's version of it is the sun is providing extra lighting for me this morning. And I want to get into John uh, 17 as well. Today's message is titled, Our Palms... His prayer, our palms, his prayer. And I'm going to pick right up where where Rod had left off. He read verses, he's in John chapter 12. He read verses 12 and 13. I'm going to pick up in verse 14. It says this, it says that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. That is a reference there to Zechariah 9, 9. And then in verse 16, it says, at first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Let's emphasize that again. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. And only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called, this is the unique piece in this verse that is, that, is, that is not in the other Gospels and Synoptics. In verse 17, it says, The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus was from the tomb was raised, excuse me, the crowd that was with him when he ra- called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed these, this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So I want to talk today about our palms and his prayer. As we we took a look in John 12, we're going to talk first about our palms. And thank you, I don't, uh, to those who brought the palms, did you bring, did you bring the palms, who brought the palms this morning? Ruby, thank you for, for bringing the, she's not here, but thank you, Ruby, for bringing the palms this morning and giving us this illustration, this tradition we've been doing for every year that I've been here, and, and uh, except for last year, don't talk about last year, but uh, nonetheless, we get to have this visual uh, on Palm Sunday, and you heard the story portrayed uh, by the actor there, you also heard the story portrayed as we've read it in the text in John's version, and out in this, in this story, in this message this morning, we're going to talk about what we have, where we contribute to this story, where we can find ourselves in the middle of this story. And this 
Paul, uh, the story of Palm Sunday is, is just such an interesting paradox because you have the people of God welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, getting excited because the Messiah has finally come and he's finally uh, accepting. We're, we've all been saying this like secretly about him, like he's the one, he's the one. And Jesus is finally now saying, okay, go ahead, shout Hosanna like I'm the one. Look, I'll let him shout. Everybody, everybody can shout now, but they don't know what the Messiah is about to do. Now again, in uh, and, and John uh, 12, 16, it talks about, or 12, 17, the unique piece of his story. It, it says that there's a crowd following him because they had heard of what he did with Lazarus. They'd heard that he raised Lazarus from the dead. So they're excited that this guy who raised Lazarus from the dead, he's doing all these other miracles. They believe that this guy is the one. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say because we're going to transition this now to your life immediately. Because here's what was going on in this story, especially for the Jews as well as the Gentiles alike. Their religion was excited and ready for a Messiah who raises the dead. But their religion was not ready for the cross. I'm going to say that again. Their religion was excited and ready for a Messiah who raises the dead. But their religion was not ready for the cross. See, we can, go, we can do that all across this congregation. We can do that all across the sanctuary and make this our own confession. My religion was excited and ready for the Messiah that raises the dead to intervene in my life, but I was not ready for the cross. In my religion, I was ready for God to give me a new job, one that I would really enjoy, but I was not ready to lose my job because of COVID-19. In my religion, I was ready for my relationships to get stronger, my family to live happily ever after. Isn't that somewhere in the Bible? And according to my religion, my religion, I was not ready for conflict. I was not ready for tough times. My religion was ready to be healed and to, to have great physical health. But my religion was not ready to be in pain and just continue to go on and on and notice that some of my physical health just isn't getting better. Can any of you all identify with this this morning? Because this is the story of Palm Sunday. This is a people who have their own box, their own understanding of what God is going to do in their midst and with great joy and with great celebration as, as they are supposed to be. But then God does something different that they weren't ready for. And I want you to hear this this morning, that the different was what they needed the different was good. They didn't understand. It made absolutely no sense to them. Just like those of you who are going through probably one of the hardest things of your life. Maybe it's the way you feel. Maybe it's conflict. Maybe it's financial stuff. You would never have wanted it, never understood it. And the living God would say to you that this is what you need. I know it's not what you expected, but this is what you needed. Through the cross, I will restore you. Through the cross, I will rebuild you. 
through the cross, I will remind you who you are and where your true identity is found. Through the cross, I will remind you that no matter what, that throughout the rest of this life, there's going to be joys, there's going, there's going to be tragedies, but in the midst of what's coming next, you will be mine. And there will be nothing that will come your way that you won't be able to lean in and trust me, the living God, with. My religion wasn't ready. It was ready for a God who could raise the dead. Isn't that funny? The last thing they thought, (laughs) a guy who just raised someone from the dead in Lazarus, the last thing they thought he was coming to Jerusalem to do was die. Come on, church, this is the story of Palm Sunday. See, we, we got to find ourselves in this story because there's this beautiful thing that I've been talking to a lot of people lately that, and we, we, last week we talked about anxiety. And there's this beautiful thing that we have to be able to live in a world and finally come to terms and finally be at peace in a world where there are not many things, well, there are many things, but compared to all the things that we can control, like I said, we make some 30,000 decisions every day, We have to be able to live in a world where we know that there's a lot of things that are not in our control. And we have to be cool with that. That's, and I don't know how people that are not men and women of faith can do that, but we are called to be able to trust God with all of those things that we are not in control of. And you notice this, that the most beautiful things in life happen in that department of out of your control. They do. Your relationship, remember that moment when when you began a relationship with someone, I don't know whether they like me or not. I hope, I'm going to do everything I can to convince them, but I cannot change their will. It's going to be up to them or they put up with me and marry me for the rest of my life. And you got the news of, maybe you got the news of a new grandkid, maybe you got the news of of, of someone else that's coming into your life, maybe you, you had something out of nowhere, a new opportunity that came your way. A lot of these, the greatest joys in our life happen. And those elements that are out of control. But we also know with fear at times that there are things that happen. Some of the darkest things happen in our life. In the category of things that were out of our control. And it's, it's unfair that we would beat ourselves up over those things. The things that happen to us that we think God's punishing me or something. That, that, that happen to us and they're out of our control. Many people Uh, fall into depression in some of the the darkest times of their life because something happened to them that they really had nothing to do with. Now, so can we uh, rebuild, I want you to with me in this moment, to rebuild this theology of Romans 8.28. I say this because this is a verse that I'm sure you've heard before. It says this, and we know That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And many have read and many in church have read that text and they believe that that means that God's going to do everything good for me. Everything is going to work out. Excuse me, only good things are going to happen to me. Good things by the standard... um, a non uh, a human has determined are good, but this this scripture is still universally true that God is going to do a good work in you. We we may not just be ready for what the good that's coming our way is, even if the good in this case, like on Palm Sunday, looked like the cross. So today, as we're going to conclude, by the way, we're going to conclude our service. 
in just a few moments with communion. I just want to remind and make sure everybody does have their communion elements. Um, I think see Rod's up here. Nick, if you wouldn't mind, is, everybody, is anybody not get communion this morning? Just lift up your hand. Nick's going to make sure everybody gets one. It should be right back there at the, the back table. Um, communion always brings us back to the table where we're reminded that just as we need the life of Christ, the renewal, the sustenance, we also need the cross. We also need the death. And that death that must take place in our own lives. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, but in this moment. Secondly, our palms, as we go from our palms in Romans 8.28, Jesus knew that days were coming where they were, we would experience these things that are not in our control, where we would experience things that we don't understand. And remember what, we, what he said to us last week, the text we, we, we studied, let not your hearts be troubled. He was praying for you, but he was also praying for all of us. And so now I want to go to, we're going to skip a couple chapters over into John chapter 17. We've still been, all of what we've been sharing um, in, in the previous weeks and this week now as I get into John 17 is all taking place over the Last Supper. It's taking place over this final meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. And in John, I'm going to read John 17 verses, uh, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Here's what Jesus prays for us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays in verse 23 that they may be brought to complete unity. Complete unity. Now he's talking about you, he's talking about me. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the disciples as one. So we now are part of the church. We are part of that extended Last Supper that took place uh, here in John chapter 17 and, and all the other verses preceding it. And so when we hear that word unity, we just saw that we often we sing about it. I mean, one of my favorite Christian songs is We Are One in the Spirit, We Are One in the Lord. Uh, uh, songs about unity, but we don't even really know what that means. What does that mean for a church to be one and what was it really that Jesus was trying to say here? So I want to I want to parse this out for you. I was actually blown away when I continued to look at different sources, and they all aligned in this one category because this unity for the church didn't have anything to do with your politics. It had nothing to do with what political side of the spectrum, and that goes for church politics too. It didn't have anything to do with whether you think the carpet should be green or red or whether we should have hardwood floor in here or whether we should redo the sanctuary or what we, how we should redo the kitchen. It had nothing to do that we should be in unity about those kind of things. It didn't have anything to do with even our personalities. Well, if we're all going to go to church, we better not, you know, we ought to all be the kind of people that don't make each other mad or we ought to all say things that are nice and really didn't have to do with your personality. What he was talking about here, and I hope you're ready to receive this because this is a hard one. 
That's a hard one in our American culture. He was saying that whether you like it or not, you selfish, entitled American, you need the church. You need to be around people that are not like you. You need to deal with personalities that maybe normally you would never say I want to be equated with them. I don't want to hang out with these kinds of people. I don't want to spend my time with them. The Lord says, yeah, you do. You need this. And he said, because he said this when he, when he commissioned us he's in, in the book of Acts, he said, you will be my witnesses in all of, you guys remember I've said this passage many times before, what two places? In all of where? Judea and Samaria. You've heard the story of the, of the, the good Samaritan, that's be, and, and even the woman at the well who was, it was Samaritan, people that were oftentimes like, whoa, Jews, we don't affiliate with those kinds of people. And Jesus says, yeah, you need to go there. See, my theo- your theology may be, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I know many people in your theology, you think that you come to church You come to church to hear from God. You come to church to get a word and to be encouraged throughout your week. But as a pastor, the way I read my Bible, the way that I understand it, is one of the biggest reasons you come to church is for that person sitting next to you. I'm not exactly talking about your spouse either. I'm talking about the person that you don't really even know, that maybe you don't spend a whole lot of time throughout the week with, that reminds them when you come in here that we are all in this together. This still matters to me. This is important to me. I am, I am a child or I am a daughter of the living God, and he is still working in my life. And brother and sister, I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad you are, we are still in this and we are part of this together. What Jesus is saying here is a lot like what he said in John 14. We talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about the vine, that this relationship you and the church being connected to the church is a vital relationship. Vital relationship. You will not be able to produce fruit, spiritual fruit in your life without it. This is the same kind of parallel that Jesus is making here, just as he said in John chapter 14. You must be a part of the body of Christ, and that doesn't just mean that you show up. It means that you be a part of this beautiful thing of people that are different than each other, learning how to work together, learning how to die to themselves, learning how to love someone that you would have never in a million years told yourself that i got to learn how to love them. It's a beautiful thing. It wasn't my plan. It was his. Welcome to the church, he says. Be people who are after my own heart. And see, this is created to be a a safe place. This ought to be a safe place where we can learn how to forgive each other. This ought to be a safe place where we can learn how to trust each other. This ought to be that kind of place because good luck trying to find that in the world. We are called to, to exercise forgiveness. We are called to exercise trust with people that are not Christians, of course, as well. But, but you, you have those experiences where you're going to be treated like a floor mat at times. And you're going to get, you know, I guess where they say your pearls thrown back at you. Uh, the dust being uh, kicked off your sandals is what happened in Scripture. But this is called to be that place where we learn how to forgive each other, learn how to trust each other, believe each other for something bigger than ourselves. Jesus said, this relationship is vital. This relationship is incredibly important. This is where Judea and Samaria become personal. See, this book 
the New Testament. And we're all becoming we're all becoming introverted these days, including myself. We find ways to become more and more introverted. But the New Testament, read this book again, read the New Testament again, is very social. It's a social book. We are called to interact. We are, we are called to, to, to love people that are not like us. Try reading the New Testament and think that the will of God is for you to go to church on Sunday and not affiliate with Christians, not affiliate with lost people, and just be in your own little box and be in your own capsule. I'm sorry, it's not in the Bible. The New Testament is a social book. So it was never just about what you come to know about Christ, but what the church would begin to do with this relationship with Christ. Just as we are in a relationship with Christ, we experience his love and his power, we can share that relationship with others. And just as we learn, we pray, like the, like the litany we prayed today, forgive us our, de- our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That is meant to be a regular practice as we receive God's forgiveness. There's this beautiful thing that happens when we learn how to forgive others and be in a kindred relationship with others. And so in these last verses, Jesus even kind of gives us a little bit of a nugget that I see here of how we can do it. And here's what we read in John 17, verses 24 through 26. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. And I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So here we have his prayer for glory in verses 24 through 26. Jesus starts talking about glory. Glory in the, in, the, in the Greek is the word doxo. Old Testament comes from the word kobo, the divine quality, the manifestation of God, Christ. And Christ tells us that he wants to see us as he really is. Now, in verse 22... If you got your Bibles, just take a look at this one here. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Glory, as I just shared with you, is the manifestation of God. And Jesus says one day he wants, he wants us to truly see him um, as he is. And he's, there is, a, of course, a reference to eternal, eternal destination there. But he also says, I have given them my glory. Them refers to the church. So them could refer to you. I want to give you a little tip here that, that we, we, can, we, can, we can always find weaknesses. We can always find dark areas. We can also always find the filth of this world on someone else. We can always find something about somebody else's personality. But the Lord says here, I have given them, the church, my glory. 
See, what we're created to do here as a church together, when it says, be one as I am one, be unified, is to affirm the doxa, affirm the glory of God that is in someone else. That which you see in them, that it's bringing life. That what it is that they do that is making something, something happen that is impactful. Yes, it's your job, it's your role to actually affirm that as part of the church. We affirm the, the glory of God that is, in, that is in and within each other. Because we live in a place that does the opposite of that all of the time and finds ways to tear each other down. And Christ is praying for us that the glory, that he has given us glory, that we would, be, that would, ex- we would experience his glory and that, that ultimately one day we would all experience the glory of the living God. You have the ability, you have the power to affirm someone, to recognize the work of God, to recognize the glory of God in someone, to affirm the presence of God in someone. And that comes by opening up your mouth and speaking life to someone. So now, I want you to see this. this I hope you kind of looked at this prayer here in John 17, 20 through 26. There's a, there's, Jesus prays a prayer before that in verses 6 through 19. You could even take a look at and all of these things that, that Jesus prays for us. And the palms oftentimes represent everything we want God to be for us. Because that's what was happening in Jerusalem on that day. They finally believed he was coming to be the God they wanted him to be. As the actor portrayed it really well. Finally, he got it. He let us sing and let us declare his name, Hosanna. Uh, palms represent us welcoming a God that is going to be the God we want him to be. So, what I want to call you and challenge you to do as we conclude this message this morning and prepare for communion is that we lay down these palms. And use these palms. Make our palms his prayer. Begin to believe God for the things that he wants for us. Good luck. Read through all that passage in John 17 if you've got a Bible. Boy, it's, it's humbling, the things that Christ wants for us. And you read through that passage, it's like, whoa, this was nowhere on my radar. This is anything that I ever think that I should be spending my time doing. These things about love, these things about humility, these things about glory, about unity, about loving people that aren't like me, about being prepared for conflicts in life. Yeah, that's what Jesus prayed for you. I, I know that there's many of you in here that are going through conflict. There's, that you're going through challenges. This is what the Lord prayed for. He knew it was coming. And instead of resisting that, resisting the cross as on Palm Sunday, this is your moment to unite with him in a sacred moment like this and say, God, I want what you want for my life. I'm listening to you right now. My palms, your prayer, your will be done in my life. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we prepare for communion? Lord, we thank you for these sacred moments that we, are, we have had together. And I know that all across this church, there are people that have needed to hear from you.
people that needed to be reminded that you were right, right with them in the middle of their challenge. And that none of this has caught you by surprise. None of this is anything that you would ever think that you, that, that, that you couldn't handle. What a relief that can be if we can place, make our palms your prayer and say, Lord, I want what you want. Your will be done. I trust in you through this. I know that whatever you bring me through, what, however I come out of this, I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to have a, a, an eternal perspective in my heart is going to be free to love those that you have placed in front of me. Lord, thank you for your word. I hear you this morning. I receive what your spirit is speaking to me. Amen. All across this church, I want to invite you at this time to prepare your elements. Um, I don't know if you have an instrumental song you can play at this time. You're welcome to do that. Uh, But uh, prepare your elements literally just means take the plastic things off, okay? By the way, I have no idea whether this has happened or not, but I think this is an appropriate time as we've been using this communion for a while just to make a point that, hey, if you, if you spill some of this or something bad happens while you're trying to, to open up your communion, you have not committed an unpartable sin or anything, okay? The Lord is not going to strike you from the ceiling and punish you in that moment because you, you spilled the blood on the floor, okay? This is a symbol. We believe this is a symbol. We don't believe in transubstantiation, which means this is actually somehow some miraculous way the blood of Christ. This is a symbol of Christ's blood for us. Just as this is a symbol of Christ's bread. And it's what you do with it in this moment. What it means to you. What's happening in your relationship with the living God that makes it sacred. So, I want us to just take a moment as we've been talking about being in unity, as we've been talking about our religion was ready for God who raises the dead, but wasn't ready for the cross. You should be reminded this morning that you need the living God. Just take 30 seconds and close your eyes and prepare your hearts for communion this morning. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Palm Sunday, they weren't ready for it. This can be a very dangerous thing to do if you think about it enough, if you revere it enough. See, this is a confession that says here, I am whatever age that I am on this day. I still need to die spiritually. Some things that need to go in my life. There's some things that need to change. And I'm not going to resist those things. I'm going to invite the, the work of the Spirit to bring about change in my life. So as we pray that, will you let's partake of the cup together. Lord, we thank you for your, that you gave us this sacrament to remind us of who we are. As we've studied the prayer that you prayed for us to remind us all to keep coming back to the table, to be a part of the church, to be a part of a group of people that aren't all like you. See, we, we find our ways to separate ourselves. We find our denominations or our worship styles that work for us, but your spirit has a way of reminding us, but it doesn't stop there. We still must learn and grow in our relationships. Learn to love each other as I have loved you, you say. So we thank you for your word. We pass this generation and generation. We thank you for your spirit that is with us in this moment today and ready to bring us empowerment, ready to bring us new life as we submit and say yes to the work of the cross in our life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you can stand for your benediction this morning. And again, I want to remind you, I shouldn't have to, but I will. Next Sunday's Easter, all right? So we do hope, uh, we encourage you to invite someone. It is the, this is it, the easiest Sunday. It, you will never get an easier Sunday all year to invite someone to come to church. People want to come anyway. All you got to do is ask them, all right? Um, so hopefully... Um, We'll see you back here with a friend next Sunday. And your benediction this morning, as Christ has been made known to us, may we engage in a relationship with Christ where we get to know him. And may the love of Christ dwell within us as the church of Jesus Christ today. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.